having courage to take that first step without paralyzing yourself in, oh my God, how is it ever going to get to that enormous end game? That first step for me is a success, kind of regardless of the end game. And I want the end game, but it's not going to destroy my whole self-worth. Welcome to Brave New Girl Podcast. I'm Lou Hamilton and I'm an artist, author and founder of the podcast guesting agency Brave New Girl Media. If you're interested in the health and well-being of people and the planet, then you're in the right place. My guests are change makers, focused on doing their bit towards the greater good and showing us that even taking small actions in the right direction, we can have a big impact on the world we live in. So all aboard the mothership. Let's do this together. My guest this week is Kat Jones, founder of Byway, who are on a mission to make slow travel mainstream. They offer 100% flight-free holidays by train, boat and bus, and the journey is the holiday as much as the destination. Their holidays are multi-stop, often multimodal, and journeys optimised for enjoyment instead of speed or cost. Welcome, Kat, to Brave New Girl Podcast. Hi, Kat. How are you? Hi, Lou. Yeah, really well, thank you. I'm very excited to to hear about your travel business that that allows people to to have journeys that are joyful and sustainable at the same time. So tell us a bit about Byway and what it is and what it offers for people. Yeah, so Byway, we're a three-year-old startup scale-up. We've been scaling up more quickly, I think, than we were quite expecting. But we are focused on slow travel. Our mission is make slow travel mainstream, make it really normal for people to think of trains when they think of holidays um, or think of boats when they think of holidays. And obviously, that's a bit of a shift. So really, at the core of what we do is, as you say, it's the joyful journey. It's this um, resurgence of the joys of travel as a wonderful experience in itself, making the journey part of the holiday as much as any of the places that you visit and really kind of introducing people again. So partly we're, you know, we're a tech company. So we're all about let's take away the goodness knows the huge amount of extraordinary pain that there is in planning a kind of transcontinental, trans country, trans, you know, uh, ticket and, you know, all of the all of the hassle that comes with which timetables and which where would I leave my bag if I stop and where would I stop? And actually, you know, how do I coordinate that train and that boat and all of that stuff? So certainly by way, we're focused on let's introduce people to these wonderful multimodal multi-stop holiday experiences and then let's just let them book it once in one place and let's take care of everything else and we'll sit with them on whatsapp and support them as they're away if there's disruption we'll kind of proactively say oh your train's running late go for a coffee there and then get the next train and all of that kind of stuff um but really you know the core of it is we'd, we'd love to shift change the face of travel, right? Make it really normal and natural for people to go overland, especially kind of substituting short haul journeys. And really the way that we do that is by reintroducing people to the joyfulness of that experience, right? And the ability to stop off and to really enjoy and sit with a view or get some work done on the Wi-Fi, whatever it is that um, that makes the journey wonderful. Um, so that's really the point of the whole thing that we're doing here. And I guess it is about just thinking differently rather than just kind of the default is to oh just quickly book a cheap flight to wherever you're going so that you do you're you're kind of more intentional. So my son has just probably about a year ago moved to Amsterdam and I made the decision that I would always go and see him by train. And I love it. It's mm. just such a 
it, it's a completely different experience and I really enjoy the kind of the whole process and it probably isn't actually that much slower if you count kind of you know going to an airport hanging about getting through checking all of that stuff and then you know with going on the train the train comes into central Amsterdam and he's a seven minute walk away so that has been a really kind of eye-opening experience for me to to rethink how I can I can travel in a different way and my my parents this year are gonna go up the Danube in a boat and there are kind of different ways aren't there of of traveling that isn't kind of having to go by by plane and and I think it is about changing the way that we kind of automatically think about travel yeah. which I don't which is a kind of new phenomenon isn't it so how many decades since it was just normal to use trains and boats have you have you kind of looked into the history of what this is yeah so I was actually at an event with Interrail with Eurail who run the Interrail passes and it was celebrating um, 50 years of Interrail and it was in Amsterdam actually which I went to by train and it was brilliant and it was sort of there was a bit of narrative at that event of you know it used to be it used to be the default you used to get an interrail pass and off you'd go around trains around Europe and that was a thing and everybody sort of had it in their consciousness that that was that was something you did and it was really in the 90s that we had the advent of the low-cost airline right and you can suddenly hop on a plane where you can get a 30 quid flight across to there and um and I think you're right there is sort of a a, a kind of people write off some of the time there you know there's a, a surprising amount actually of oh it's a 40 minute flight without thinking oh it's a two and a half hour check-in before the flight and then it's sort of hanging around in a queue and all those things that actually when you're sort of hopping on a train 10 minutes before it leaves and then sitting and getting your work done on the wi-fi or you know reading your book or whatever it is I think I think that's sort of an interesting thing that we have in our heads is that flights are quick because often they're not as you say they're not as quick as we think that they are but even once you kind of get out of you get past that and you think about the I suppose it's about leaning into the different modes of travel and what they offer and yes not all trains offer fabulous wi-fi but a lot of them do and you can if you can build in that kind of attitude I think a lot of it's mindset right it's about like how do you think about that experience you think about the travel as something you're going to enjoy you probably do a little bit of prep to make sure you've got the right podcast in your phone or whatever it is that's going to make sure you really can enjoy it um but then also building in the stops you know and those experiences and this is a lot of what we do at byway as well you know once you've been on this train this is a lovely kind of route that you can take some nice views at this point and then in three hours get off here there's a nice place for lunch have a lunch have a walk leave your bags here then come back and get on the train and have another you know another couple of hours there and then you'll be here where you're going to spend the night it's sort of that um the journeys aren't too long and you can break them and actually have a really nice little swim at that particular break point. Um, and then if you really do want the long distances, then the sleeper trains are just fabulous. And they're such a, again, you know, there's sort of a romance to the idea of a sleeper train, not not as many people as we might think would know what, what on earth is a sleeper train and what does it look like and how do you get a bed and all these sorts of things. So I think, you know, we did a 
big trip last summer. I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and we went on on the Eurostar to Amsterdam and then we had a few days there and it was sunny and we did lots of swimming. That was nice. And then we got the night jet down from Amsterdam to Zurich overnight and it was just a gorgeous kind of sleeper train experience. We covered a lot of distance there, but we saved the night of accommodation and we had a nice time on the train and it was a good experience for the kids. And then we went from there down the super scenic train, the Benina Express. One of we Half of it actually is an open top train. So we did that all the way down to Lake Como um, and it was just you know, gorgeous Swiss Alps. We went right up to the high glaciers. Um, we sat right at the front of the train and the driver, um, We it's a single track railway. So the driver was getting up. He was really kind every time that he had to stop to let another train pass. Um, he got up so that the children could sit in his driver's seat and we could see the other train come. They could be driving the train. And yeah, so I think I think it's a lot just sort of leaning into those journeys and the way you kind of configure them to work for you and your experience of what you're going to enjoy. I think it gives you a, a completely different feel for a country. But we were filming in India we, over a year. We were sort of going backwards and forwards. And on several of the trips, we traveled on sleeper trains across India. And and it was just the most amazing experience. And yeah, mm. the, someone would come along in the morning with doses and chai and and you get you got to see India in a completely different way than you would have if you were flying or you wouldn't have seen it at all. So, yeah, so I really get that kind of whole experience of of actually leaning into to the journey itself and, and the joy of mm. that. I want to go into more depth in into why you decided to start such a business and and how you got into the kind of whole sustainability and why you wanted to do this. But first, let's give a bit of context to, to who you are. I always ask my guests when they look back at the children that they were, whether there were any clues to the, the woman and the entrepreneur that you've become. <laughs> clues. Great question. I think, I think there were a few, right? I spent a lot of my time in my childhood on trains and boats and stuff. Actually, probably more boats than trains. My mum is one of 13 children of a big Irish family. Uh, about half of those live in Ireland. So we used to do a fair amount of ferries across the Irish Sea for that. Um, my grandparents on my dad's side um, have had a little sailing, you know, sort of sailing boat with a couple of beds on it that they used for all their holidays for, well, you know, since my dad was tiny. I used to, I, I did some sailing, actually. I learned to sail in a little lake in rural Wiltshire where I grew up and caught, caught birth and went sailing and um, became a sailing instructor. Um, and so, and I think that was kind of in, in the family that we would, you know, sail across the English Channel to a French campsite somewhere and have a holiday and then sort of sail back. And so I think that kind of sense of movement and boats and water was really in my childhood a lot and then I suppose it wasn't until I got a bit older that the trains became a big thing and that was probably really with I went to university in Durham and my boyfriend who's now my husband was in Oxford so we used to travel a lot back up and down the country on trains and that was that was probably where I got a lot more train focused in the way that I travel but I've always I suppose I've always looked a bit unusual in that way you know it wasn't normal for my friends to be kind of going off around on trains and boats and buses on their holidays you know it was more normal to drive or maybe to fly when we got a bit older yeah so I suppose I, I've always sort of stuck out a little bit in that way and seemed a little bit odd or unusual. 
And then when you grew up, well, you went to university and, and you started a business or several businesses, but, but definitely a business that you then um, exited and you, you did an MSc in sustainable development. So what was in your mind? Was it that you you wanted to be an entrepreneur from the outset that you wanted to be a that you definitely were kind of a a free spirit and then how did it start to kind of dawn on you that you wanted to have more responsibility in terms of the impact that you were having with business yeah so um small clarification so that that business um that i went into very early was called unruly and um, that i didn't start that one i went in as an early employee i was employed sort of person number nine into that startup when it was quite small but yeah stayed there 10 years through the exit and all of the various startup life cycle that it had over that period um i suppose for me i i i've always been fairly sort of would quite like to start something and and do some stuff that I feel is important and solve some problems you know my degree was physics so I'm quite a problem solvery sort of person um but when I came out of the physics degree I took some time out and went with my um then boyfriend now husband uh, we went traveling on a big you know big travel time probably eight or nine months where we spent most of it on America uh, South American buses uh, traveling around various parts and I think our record was like 18 hours on a bus or something like this, um, which I probably wouldn't do now, but was superb then. And when we kind of came out of that, we were then supposed to be sort of going around on buses in Southeast Asia for a while. And actually, when we got to Malaysia, we said, you know what, let's just get a flat in Malaysia for a few months. Let's just live here. Let's just spend some time kind of getting to know the place a bit more deeply and and let's start a business because when we were in South America, we had tried to um, visit the salt flats in Bolivia and found it a kind of complete, basically it was before TripAdvisor was really a thing there, but we really needed TripAdvisor to tell us which of these many tour companies would be remotely safe or, you know, like where, where are there going to be wonderful experiences here? You've got, you know, 80 different companies offering tours how do you know which ones are going to be good and which ones are not and all of that sort of thing so we ended up setting up a website uh, called TripTim which was about evaluating and sort of reviews and and booking for the Bolivian salt flats um, from Malaysia which was kind of you know our Spanish was mediocre and we were trying to have all these supplier relationships we had to stay up to the middle of the night because the time zone was completely the opposite of you know we were awake when they were asleep um, so it's sort of a, a, a sort of silly thing to do in a way but we ran that as a side project for 18 months or something and I think I'd always I always think I had been a startup-y sort of person um, and I've always wanted to dive in and, and solve some problems but I think I knew especially after doing that experiment which maybe a little bit of money never really very much and you know we did it for a while and, and then kind of rolled it down but that taught me how very difficult it is to do something like this and so that really was my motivation for going into one really I, I did a couple of um Accenture development partnerships projects building um sort of while I was at university I did an internship and then I went back as a contractor and sort of built a network of food banks in in South Africa and did a project in Thailand with them as well and sort of came out of all of that going actually I was supposed to go onto the graduate program with Accenture and said actually do you know what I'd rather join a startup so I googled interesting startups in London and found Unreally which was video ad tech so not really something I was expecting to do in a sales role and I remember going into that interview with the CEO of Unreally Scott 
heart and saying, I don't really want to be a salesperson, but I would like to learn how to sell some stuff well for about six months and then go and sort of do something else. And that was fine because they were growing their six month sales thing. So anyway, I went in there and then ended up doing various kind of sales and product roles and all of that. But I suppose always having in the back of my head, this is advertising and you know, like I'm learning such a lot and this founding team is just brilliant. The founders have been really, you know, so generous with their time and insight. And I learned such a lot about building a startup from very early through to kind of post-exit, more than 450 people, all of that kind of thing. Stayed sort of to bed in with the acquiring company afterwards. But also at the same time went, do you know what, it would be good to get a bit more discipline around my sustainability and kind of sustainable development things that I've been you know having in my head and working on some projects so I did that evenings and weekend course with SOAS where I kind of did that over three or four years while I was at Unruly and ended up having I, I graduated with a baby in a sling so I did it on sort of I think I had a deadline which was I've got to get I've got to get all these exams and coursework done before the baby's born because then I'm not gonna have any time to do that so so that was really then kind of a lot more rigor in the sustainability and and what what really is going on and how quickly climate change is moving and where is the kind of individual agency and autonomy for people to have impact with their personal decisions and where are their real opportunities for things to change that that gave me a lot more of a grounded disciplined understanding of that and that's something that really interests me is you know how we can individually make choices and decisions because it can feel so massive and so huge and so frightening that it's very easy to kind of bury our heads in the sand and go it's it's other people's problems or it's other people's fault or it's too big. What, what can I as an individual do to, to make any kind of impact or have any kind of ripple effect? When you, when you come to kind of look at things that you, you can do, if you're curious and you're interested and, and you kind of listen out for companies and businesses like yours who are doing things that help make it easier for us as individuals to make different kinds of choices. So what was it that made you choose travel as a business that you felt that actually, yes, you could do something really positive here? Mm, I think so. Certainly doing the uh, master's degree gave me a good understanding that travel actually as individuals tends to be our highest impact area of our lives. You know, it's the area that if we're going to change one thing, you know, giving up a return flight to the Mediterranean has the same impact as going vegan for a year from a climate perspective. So this is this is kind of high impact stuff and it's a default for lots of people. So I suppose I had that backdrop. I, after Unruly, I went in, I'd sort of gone, well, you know, if I want to be able to potentially found a business sometime, it would be, wouldn't it be great? I've done a life cycle on one business, but wouldn't it be great now to go and work with lots of different startups with lots of different types of founding team, lots of different business models. So I went into investing. I became a managing director at Founders Factory, which is sort of a very early stage incubator accelerator for startups. And I was investing in media which I knew and that was a logical hire for them because I did media at Unruly but also travel which was a bit of a risk for them because I'd sort of started a little tour booking website but I didn't really know travel at all uh, so we all took a bet that ah oh, I could learn how to do travel investments and what that sector and industry looks like um, and I, I, I went quite deep on that quite quickly because obviously that was a growth area for me so I did a lot of research and got very close you know I needed to make early stage investments but I also had to build businesses from scratch and kind of assemble founding teams to run those businesses so I was looking at what's going on and 
at the time, I I was looking at trends uh, across the space, as you do as an investor, and looking at the rise of the mindfulness movement and the slow food movement and all of these kind of deeper sense of connection things, plus the huge rising tide of sustainability decision making and the, you know, people actually already are starting to give up flights or or try to fly less and people are caring more and more all the time about the sustainability impacts of their decisions i'm sort of watching this data going whoa i don't look so unusual anymore i've always been this strange person swanning around on trains and boats and buses and actually now maybe the world is ready for trains and boats and buses to be coming back and giving a really gorgeous alternative to flights so i suppose it was that had the background from the sustainability masters and then i went into the trends and the data that said wow actually this is what the world is ready and then lockdown hit and at that point i went oh my goodness you know my bet is this is not a short sharp shock this is probably something that sustains for a while and has a very long-term impact on the way that we do things and certainly the travel industry kind of went straight into free fall and you know we and i sort of went oh my goodness this is i have to give up that job and i have to build partly build the facilitating technology to actually make it possible for people to travel this way at scale without it being an enormous hassle and needing portfolio ring binders of timetable printouts to go with you but also build that brand because as you say about this kind of individual impact Certainly people making decisions themselves is is really wonderful and important, but also people feeling like they can create a movement and be part of a movement and a global shift. And that's really what we're trying to facilitate and catalyze with Byway. And that's where that brand leadership and the thought leadership and the policy advocation on the ticket, the, you know, the subsidies that go into planes and perhaps moving over into trains and these sorts of things where we can say, actually, you know, we want, we want to introduce someone who always or often flies for their holiday and we measure this with all of our bookings so we can track our impact let's see that we can introduce those people to this quite unusual alien way of traveling sometimes we can do this trip for them they can go away they can have a great time you know we've got 97 five star reviews and a lot of our people do normally fly so we're like wow okay we can really help these people who normally fly actually really enjoy this new kind of travel but then they come home and then they say i'll book with you again and i'll do a few trips with byway and but i'll also send my friends and i'll tell people hey this was a really amazing experience and then you kind of get that snowball where people aren't just saying well i'm one person in the ocean of all this stuff and i can make that decision but how big is that really and all of that because suddenly you have that person who's got their whole network and their whole effect and and you have this rising kind of shift in consciousness that makes it feel bigger than all of its individual parts right and that's where suddenly we can start to have a real voice with other brands you know we're partnering now with Intrepid and Cuoni and these big travel brands who've got kind of people saying we want to be more sustainable we don't always want to get on a plane but they're also you know they're looking at that as brands and they're saying we want to be more sustainable too so it's exciting for them to partner with byway and have a flight free sustainable travel offering but we wouldn't without this kind of snowball momentum effect and all the press we've had and all of these people who are going away and then coming home with a lovely experience and advocating you know we wouldn't have these big brands coming and saying okay we can do a flight free slow travel product and we wouldn't have these policy makers starting to go oh okay maybe we should pay some attention to these people because this seems to be a thing so i think it's that you know it really the the movement and the network really 
links people in and amplifies all of the individual impacts that we have and that we can take. I've been feeling very smug because for six years, I, I've only flown once and that was a long haul flight. Slightly the smugness is taken away because three years of that was the pandemic when we couldn't fly. But then I was like, well, I, I'm actually very happy never to fly again. And then my daughter moved to Australia. <laughs> And suddenly, by nature, I am very binary. I'm very black and white. If I've made a decision, I'm committed to something, then that's it. And suddenly, here I am in a, a dilemma of, well, I am going to have to get on a plane to go and see my daughter. But I want to see my daughter more than anything. And so that will trump it. And I think that you know, most people, most people aren't binary, <laughs> most people, <laughs> you know, there, there is more of a confusion, there is more kind of more of a sort of more questions and more things to negotiate. Why do people find it hard to make decisions and changes when they know it's for the greater good, but it's uncomfortable, or it's inconvenient? How do you encourage people to make those shifts, even when it's you know, obviously not as like sort of, you know, if your family's the other side of the world, you're going to go and see your family. But when things are kind of a bit more, not as black and white as that, how do you persuade people or encourage people to be more intentional and be more conscious, even when it's a little bit uncomfortable? Yeah, so I think, I think partly it's education, you know, partly it's just, it's just knowledge. Not everybody is aware of, the impact of uh, certainly the relative impact you know lots of people choose to be vegan for climate reasons but lots of those people don't also go oh well actually one less return flight would all, would double my impact you know i think i think there is a knowledge gap around this we sort of all know in theory like flying's not very good for the environment but i think the bigger the bigger shift is moving away from the ought you know and i think this is the sustainability stuff is often in an ought bucket, right? I ought to do this. And it's more inconvenient, it's more hassle, and I don't really want to do it, but good for the world. I absolutely should do it. Let me do it and be a good, responsible citizen. And actually that that's always probably my my gut is that's probably going to stay a small, committed, very high advocacy, hugely important part of our society who will absolutely do all of those things but our mission with byway is let's make slow travel mainstream let's just get it to be everywhere and let's have everyone flying a lot less especially short haul where they can let's really help that to be normal and to do that you have to shift it from an ought into a joyful alternative experience that yeah, it does cost a bit more and we're working on policy, banging policy doors and we've just integrated a lot of interrail passes into our technology. So now we can kind of price things much more flexibly with these lovely passes and Swiss passes and all these other things that, that help with that. But actually, you know, what we're finding at the moment is people, even though it's more expensive than a £15 flight to Marrakesh, like you you are willing when you can see, whoa, I'm, I'm, I'm going to spend three days meandering through... France and Spain and stopping here and having a night there and all oh, that looks like a nice restaurant I could go and visit and actually that becomes part of your holiday in a really delightful way and you go oh all right I feel like that's a really nice way to get to Morocco and so 
that I think that's the big shift is help people introduce people to the joys of that experience. So that's a lot of what you know what we're doing with our social and when we're talking and we're interviewing in the press is let's let's kind of colour in those customer stories and those joyful journeys so that people don't sort of you have to you have to show people the impact of the kind of sustainability impact but in a way for most of our customers that's a kind of ps don't i feel good at the end of it but actually the reason i did this was because it just looked really fun and exciting and different and unusual and rich and joyful and all of that stuff so i think it's sort of introducing people to the really extra kind of personal value and benefit that they are going to get and tap into from this and then ps great it's also sustainable you are a B Corp certified business now and I know that it's really hard to get that and that you have to tick a lot of boxes. I'm interviewing increasingly more B Corp businesses because I really champion what you're doing and I think it's absolutely fantastic. As a B Corp, which is something that is a kind of constantly evolving and you know, it, it, you don't just tick the boxes and get your certificate and Bob's your uncle it it's a constantly changing thing with that in mind what's your vision for the future I think for us we we always came in as a very mission driven business so we're a business we're a commercial entity but part of the appeal of B Corp for us was you know it helps us change our articles of association say all the directors of this company forever and ever have to prioritize the social and environmental as much as the commercial so it gives us kind of a sense of protection of the mission through the life cycle of what this company is and i think for us it's we we want this um tide of slow travel to kind of take over the world and to be pervasive everywhere and for lots of people to just constantly be hearing wow that sounds like a wonderful journey experience and so I think I think one of the things that's been nice about the B Corp network as well I've talked about some of the travel brands that we're working with um, some of those you know Intrepid is a B Corp I think they're the world's largest travel B Corp at the moment um, and and actually that network of B Corps, these mission driven businesses that are actually very complementary to us in lots of ways. You know, people working on, you know, Oddbox working on sustainable food solutions. And, you know, there are lots of sort of overlaps. So I think for us, that vision of, you know, assembling this growing network of B Corps to all kind of share and support each other in each other's missions and drivers for more sustainable ways of being across lots of different parts of the world. Um, I think it's it's kind of a it's a it's a broader interpretation of the shift that we want to see in travel specifically that kind of pulls that all together in terms of that approach and mindset that so many other amazing business leaders are driving. So I think that's that's a real part of the vision that we're trying to create is um, a more holistic global network of people changing all of the world for the better and B Corp definitely helps us with that. And in the light of the work that you're doing, how difficult it can be to change people's mindsets and habits, how do you define courage? Mm, I think, so I think for me, if I think about the step that you know lockdown hit and you know I was in the Guardian within six months as the crazy lady who's set up a travel business in the middle of travel imploding into lockdown issues and all of that stuff I think I think it would I think it's about breaking down this enormous thing that you want to do and that feels really kind of big and you know like we want to change the world in quite a radical unusual way I've like quite a lot to look at and I think if all I'd done was look at that 
as we went into lockdown and no one could go anywhere and we didn't know what was going to happen. I think that would have been a very, a much more difficult thing for me to say, yeah, of course I'm going to go and do that. <laughs> Whereas actually that I think the, the courageous bit is grabbing that enormous thing and saying, I'm going to chunk that down and I'm going to say like, what's the first step? And I can do that first step and having that confidence and courage to take that first step uh, of something you can do without paralyzing yourself in, oh my God, how is it ever going to get to that enormous end game? And actually that first step for me is a success kind of regardless of the end game. And I want the end game, but it's not going to destroy my whole self-worth if I can't do that for some unknown reason at the end um, and seeing sort of seeing that path as successive steps that you can take knowing where you're trying to get to in the end but um I guess having that having that confidence and courage to break it into those small bits and then start walking that path well before you know what it even looks like or how it's going to take you to where you want to get to in the end because each step is valuable and successful in of its own right isn't it it is. And we actually have an investor, Nick, who uh, was one of our very early angel investors. And I just love the way that he thinks about his investments when he goes, he's investing in very, very early stage startups. And for him, he says, I'm investing in teams and technologies that will catalyze change in the world, even if they go bust within two years of me investing in them. Right. I'm going because I think they're making waves or they're developing technology in such a way that other people will then be able to piggyback on the work they've done. They could go bust, but the world will have been changed because of something that they did during the time they were here. And obviously he doesn't want them to go bust. <laughs> he wants them to be enormous. But I just love that approach of like these small things that we do, they don't just affect us. They are contributing something extraordinary often to a whole landscape of the world that other people are going to come in and collaborate with us and compete with us and all of those things um and so just making waves in those ecosystems is such an extraordinary important thing for us all to be thinking about doing love that thank you so much for showing us how to travel in a more sustainable and slow way so that we can still see the world and connect with other people and other cultures and leave a smaller footprint behind us Thank you so much, Kat. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I'm thinking now I can kind of see my visions and dreams of trains and buses. And what was the other one you said? Trains, buses and boats. boats. Yeah. Ferries. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care and see you soon. Thank you, Lou. It's been really fab. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks, Kat, for showing us alternative ways to travel that help us see and save the planet at the same time. You can find out more about Kat's work on www.byway.travel and follow her on LinkedIn at Kat Jones. Today's story inspires you to step into the spotlight and show how you too are positively impacting the world. Take care, choose courage and see you next time.